If your version of a hot date is going to a telephone museum, your ideal vacation is a ghost tour of Gettysburg, and instead of stargazing, you spend your nights sitting against a tree making Bigfoot mating calls to Warren and an unsuspecting Sasquatch, you're in the right place. This is Strange Shenanigans. I'm Stan. I'm Ashley. And welcome to the show. What so, do we got first, Ashley? Well, I'm going to talk about train derailments today. Have you been following any of these train derailments? A little bit. A little bit? Well, they've got like 16-year-old environmental Ashley just like through the roof. But in between my rants, I'm going to tell you why I think they're a strange shenanigan. Because I believe they fall under uh, government cover-ups and conspiracies. Very much so. I really do. So, guess what? What? The Canadians are attacking Maine! Again? Again! The Canadians are coming! I only knew it was a matter of time! Just recently in April, a train derailed in Maine. Finally, it's hit home. So I decided to investigate more into this. In Rockwood, which is in Somerset County... Which is only, we could take a trip, it's really romantic, it's only two hours and 11 minutes away from us. Okay. Right? Hot date alert! <laughs> um, so the train was carrying lumber, ethanol, and, excuse me for the pronunciation of this, pentathmethylophene. Yeah, right? You know, all those pentathelamine needs you have. That's something you want to package together. Ethanol and lumber. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let's just bring the forest fire everywhere as we go. (laughs) So I I looked up what pentathelamine is. And um, Google, what would we do without it, tells me it's a colorless liquid. It's insoluble in water and less dense than water. And the vapors are heavier than air. And it irritates your skin, eyes, and mucous membranes. Oh, not your mucous membranes. So that's that's all I know about pentathlamine. So that's what the train was carrying, and they claim um, that the hazardous materials didn't leak or participate in the fire that occurred when the train derailed that was carrying lumber on some of our driest days of the spring. Just saying. They did say that diesel was the cause of what leaked and caused all the fires and damage. And just like good old Ohio, our local Environmental Protection Agency is on the case. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can set it on fire and send up a giant toxic cloud. Exactly. So why is this a strange shenanigan, you might ask? Because I deem it's weird that even though an average three trains derail a day and the statistics claim that it's almost never hazardous material, quote unquote, and yet hazardous material is leaking all over the country, overseen by the same government that sprayed DEET into swimming pools to keep those pesky mosquitoes away, and by the same EPA that has former intelligent employees 
quitting and then protesting their place of work over and over again. I digress. But what's really weird is that researching the main train derailment has been a damn nightmare. Because, like most of these hazardous derailments, the media is hardly reporting on them at all. Finding something different besides the same article just republished by every single outlet has been a no-go. And don't worry, our government Janet Mills is on it. She tweeted once about it, has been completely silent about the derailments and the conditions of her tracks, and she graced us with two tweets on the same day. Because she really cares about us. She does, yes. She really does. She's deeply concerned. Mm So Moose River, which feeds into Little Brassa Lake, is still impacted by the diesel hydraulic fluid and engine oil spills, as well as what apparently didn't spill out of the cars, which I find it hard to believe at this point. Right. So the lake's pretty, it's pretty polluted at this point. And the press and DEP are not claiming much damage or releasing any information at all. Actually, the only people who are reporting on this is Portland Press Herald. So, as much as I hate to do this, I gotta give preps to right. uh, Portland Press Herald for following this because actually these lakes kind of sound like they're totaled right now. Yeah. Um. The this kind of this damage. Um, or lack of damage being reported is kind of concerning because they're not releasing any long-term damage notices. And it makes me super worried because there are still to this day cancer clusters all over Maine. And we have some of the highest cancer rates in the country for how small our population is. And we still have these cancer clusters as one held, that once held mills and manufacturing plants that we are still claiming that they had nothing to do with it. So once again, well, I mean, just, just it was only uh, a few years ago, like five, six years ago, where uh, the fish you catch in in the Penobscot River became edible again. Yeah, that you could safe even to eat. eat because of the levels of mercury in the Penobscot. And River. we're still not pointing fingers, mm-hmm. which is shocking. I get mills and factories bring jobs. That's wonderful, but not long ago they were bringing horrible diseases because once again. We weren't putting any restrictions. We were like, yeah, dump it all wherever you want. It's fine. It's cool. So Canadian Pacific, Kansas City, that's the railway name, kind of weird, is still keeping hush on the derailment and has declined to answer any questions about how much hazardous materials they were carrying. So my tinfoil hat is on. This, to me, is a government conspiracy because the government, once again is conspiring against the people with all these trained derailments of hazardous materials cancers and other illnesses will go up medical sectors will profit and ohio's land is essentially unusable so they can so they can't safely grow their own food even at this point these two to three mile long monster trains are the new norm because it's profit over people the biggest government conspiracies are, aren't always aliens, but it's actually our own government conspiring against their own people. Very true. And it's pretty upsetting. So when I wrote, I've been working on this for a few weeks, and still, once again, Norfolk has had another train derail. They're the ones who caused the Ohio disaster. Yesterday, which is May 15th, um... A train derailed, which was carrying 120 passengers. None of them luckily were injured. And then 
a train derailed in Ohio once again. 18 cars were off the tracks. 31 cars went off the tracks in Texas yesterday. Um, they claim that the railway claims that they are following all safety protocols. But I mean, it's derailing again. And then today at 11, another train derailed in Texas. And it was in one of those monster trains. It was about two miles long again. Well, they're, they're out here right now, you know, doing, a, doing you know, post-disaster PR work out here. They've got uh, guys zipping up and down the tracks all over northern Maine, uh, suddenly fixing things that nobody, you know, even knew were broken to begin with. Just so that, you know, when they finally do release some sort of statement, they can be like, oh, well, we already we upgraded this, this. this many miles of tracks and all this stuff. And we're, we're, we're blazing into the future with new shit. And it's all bullshit. Because in reality, it's all after the fact of, you know, what just happened in summer. It is all after the fact. And um, the train that derailed yesterday in Ohio, because they had 18 cars off the tracks. 18 cars. And that's the last thing Ohio needs right now. Mm -hmm. And it's by CSX um, Company, I guess. And they're also the same ones doing construction on a lot of main tracks. Yep. Right here in our town, actually, is one of them. So what's the deal, guys? Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not pretty keen on these train derailments and these crazy hippies. This is the time where you need to speak up. I don't know where our, like, 2006 protesters are that were around, but they need to come back because tweets aren't working. No. Actually make a difference, people, because this is going to get out of hand. So our next topic is uh, vehicles commonly confused for UFOs. Which happens a lot more than you think. It does. Do you want to start this one off or do you want me to? You can start this one off. Got I did it. all the talking the first time. So I took I took on the wingless body aircraft, which I didn't even know was really a thing other than, you know, the space shuttles until, <laughs> until I saw a, a YouTube clip. So the wingless body uh, vehicles were eventually, were initially invented, uh, as prototypes to test whether a shuttle could land with the small amount of wings and surface area it has on it. Okay. So NASA's first attempt was the uh, the M2F1. It was a lightweight, unpowered prototype aircraft. The flight test to flight test the wingless body. Um, they nicknamed it the Flying Bathtub. <laughs> um, it was it was manned, and it's. Uh, first flight was in 1962 or its first test was in 1962 and it was complete completely built by 1963 uh and it worked they were able to launch it off a plane and, and land it nice uh, but keep in mind that this thing is small silver tic-tac shaped no and has no wings are you taking away my tic tac ufos okay but there's more okay this oh, this, right. this one was wood frame tiny little thing probably not going to confuse it for a ufo other than that it's a little weird the northrop hl10 uh was one of five u.s heavyweight 
lifting body designs. Okay, so it was uh, flown out of NASA's Flight Research Center in Edwards, California, from uh, 1966 to 1975 to study and validate the concept of safely maneuvering and landing low lift over drag vehicle design, which is what a space shuttle is. All right. But they flew it for years without telling anybody they were flying it. Oh. <laughs> and once again, it has no wings. And from a so side profile, while moving, could very easily be confused with a disc or oval shape. No! You're yeah. taking away everything mm -hmm. from me. How dare you? But uh, you can actually see this uh, this this plane because uh, it's currently displayed at the entrance of uh, Armstrong Flight Research Center in Edwards at Edwards Air Force Base. Oh, now. cool! That's cool. Because these ones are all declassified. Uh, the next one was the Martin Marietti, Marietti X-24. Um, it's another experimental aircraft by the United States Air Force and NASA. Um, it ran, also ran from 63 to 75. It was, uh, once again, designed and built to test the lifting body concept. Um, it was originally built as the 24A and later rebuilt as the 24B. The uh, X-24 was drop-launched from a modified B-52 Stratofortress, which is a massive bombing <laughs> plane, oh. at high altitudes before igniting rockets that propelled it. After Ooh. expending the rocket fuel, the pilot would glide the X-24 to an, into an unpowered landing. Um, it was flown 28 times. Um, it validated the concept... But it uh, it also, you know, once again, it's a wingless plane. It looks like it would have looked like a UFO. But I'm not saying that, you know, with these few instances of these vehicles flying, that this is what we're confusing for UFOs in modern day. What I'm saying is the first one of these was built in 1962 and flown. Pretty close to our craze. And these are just now declassified and displayed for the public you know, later, 20 years down the road from then, what's out there that's being tested and flown now? If we can, we're capable of launching, propelling and landing a wingless aircraft in the 60s, what's out there now that we could be very easily confusing right. for, you know, a UFO? Not sure. That's true. I mean, we'll have to wait another 20 years to see if the Dorito really was our Dorito-loving aliens or right. if it was you another know, country you know, working. Cool. I actually found uh, the uh, the guys who actually f flew the X-24A, 13 flights, Gerald Gentry, 12 flights, John Manick, and 3 flights, Cecil Powell. <laughs> I like that it's one of their cool, names right? was Manick. I've got another <laughs> wingless one that I, I found that... Uh, this this is m what we have in modern day. Okay, this is this was done at a university, so we we have information and it's open more open to the public. But what's being built behind closed doors that's in comparison or even greater to this thing, the wingless electromagnetic air vehicle, the Weave, <laughs> is. A heavier-than-air flight system developed at the University of Florida, funded by the Air Force, uh, 
was invented in 2006 by Dr. Sabrata Roy, a plasma physicist, aerospace and, and aerospace engineer. Um, the weave employs no moving parts and combines the aircraft's structure, propulsion, energy production, storage, and control subsystems into one system. All right, then. Yep. Holy. So I actually tried to look and read and understand how this thing works. And obviously, I am not a plasma physicist or an aerospace engineer. No, we went to public school, guys. Mm -hmm. Sorry. But I'm homeschooled. There's information out there about it. But th this this system is just insane. It It's... It's like the theories of what UFOs are. Yeah. Oh no. It's all combined into one propulsion system that controls, that can control and direct it in any direction it wants. Wow. While sustaining, you know, oh, an environment within the inside of it because everything is controlled by electromagnetism. That's crazy. Right. Wow. What a concept. I don't know if how far they've come with this i mean that that was 2006 so have they built a prototype have they built an actual ship that can be maneuvered and if they have i mean if it was incredibly successful i wouldn't be surprised if it once again got classified right. like everything else well like, and we're like, not gonna know like until it's, it's, it's declassified it's funded by the air force so as exactly. soon as he had success in 2006 they could have been like yep bam this is yep. now a black project nobody can know anything yeah about absolutely we might not know so the answer all we for would another know 20 would years be his initial success with his idea man could be a little bit that's crazy all right so my vehicle is probably one you've all heard of and today i'm gonna talk about the lockheed with my assistant if you hear a little gremlin in the background that's my assistant lily today hi I'm hey lily gremlin. So the military has a vast history with jets. We're recording at the Our Heroes Military Museum in Lincoln, Maine. They are on display throughout the whole museum. In the 1950s, two little boys were riding their bikes around their Nevada town. As they were riding a trail of vehicles and people passed them. Curious as young children are, they asked one of the tall uniformed men walking by, what were they moving? His response? It's a UFO, son. Don't worry about it. And he continued on. The boys were stunned and excited. They rode off to tell all their friends, modern day social media. Was it actually a UFO? Unfortunately, not. Nope. It was the top secret Lockheed SR-71. Still to this day, the Lockheed is considered to be one of the fastest jets. Designed in the 1950s, this jet was designed to outrun missiles. It was a spy plane designed by the U.S. Air Force and NASA. In its conception, the hope was that it could be so fast that it could not be detected by radar. You may have heard of the Lockheed SR-71. It's most commonly known as the Blackbird. When Blackbird was created and being tested, it was unlike anything that was flying in the air. It was black, sleek, fast and looked almost how you would imagine a spacecraft the blackbird was tested frequently at a special place in nevada has anyone heard of it i know no yeah area 51 area 51 and definitely helped the ufo craze thank goodness or we wouldn't be here right now 
The Blackbird still looks quite amazing and it holds up on speed. On July 28, 1976, pilots flew this aircraft at a remarkable speed of 2,193 miles per hour. That's a, a record lot. speed. It was used for more than 30 years and was retired in 1990. Even at 60 years old, still looks young, and it holds the official airspeed record for an air-breathing jet engine aircraft. It's pretty cool looking. Yes. You got anything for us on the Lockheed Lily? Yes. What do you got? The Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk. The first flight was June 18, 1981. On April 22, 2008, the Lockheed F-71 Nighthawk is, is I The Nighthawk is a single-seat twin-engine stealth attack aircraft by Lockheed's Secretive Skunk Works Divisions and operates by the United States Air Force. It was first an operational aircraft to be designed with stealth technology. The F-117 is widely publicized for its role in the Persian Gulf War of 1991. It was commonly referred as the stealth figure, but it was, always, but it was secretly an attack aircraft. Nice! What's cool, everybody knows of its existence now, too. Yeah. But, you know, with that's that's the forefront of aerospace technology during the Gulf War. And what shape is it? Uh, no comment. A triangle. A triangle. Which everyone's out here freaking out because they see giant triangles in the sky. The Dorito. Yeah, and this the this is Dorito. this is forty fifty years ago. I mean, we don't know what the Air Force and what NASA is moving around in the sky and what. Companies like Skunk Works and you know, know. Northrop Grumman are inventing th these days. So, speaking of moving aircraft, guess what? What? There's going to be tons of UFO sightings soon. Why? Uh, yeah, right? So, there's going to be tons of UFO sightings, especially in the areas of Spain, Greece, and, believe it or not, Missouri and Maryland. Also... Might be a few in Italy, Washington, and Mississippi. And probably a few other places that weren't in the research that I did. These are going to occur in the next two months because the U.S. military is about to start their Defender exercises. These exercises are essentially testing our flights and our readiness with our allies on aircrafts. So you're going to see lots of vehicles flying around and we're going to see lots of blurry videos of ufos they're going to be blurry because they're going to be all vehicles that are kind of obvious a10s are going to be tested these are single seat twin turbo fans straight wing supersonic attack aircrafts known as the hogs or warthogs and thunderbolts they are in service with the air force and other similar branches they're the infantry's best friend they really are yes <laughs> C-17s are also going to be tested. These are large military transport aircrafts. They look wicked obvious, but again, you're still going to say they're a UFO and break my heart. Their top speed is only 590 miles per hour, and the Air Force has 157 
of these. They're also known as Glowmasters in service. So 157 isn't a big number, but it looks obvious enough that, I mean, it's a jet, it's an airplane. But guess what? That, does, that doesn't matter. Though. Right, guess what? People matter. are still going to do it to me. And our uh, last one that's going to be tested is a C-130 or what we just talked about, another Lockheed. It's a Lockheed C-130 Hercules, which is a four-engine turboprop military transport. It has 14 variants. Please listen, my UFO friends. The Lockheed C-130 has 14 variants. In many countries use this model. It's one of the most popular ones. It doesn't need to be on runways to take off or land. But again, after looking at pictures, I think it looks pretty un-UFO-like. Like, it doesn't look anything like the Lockheeds we were really talking about. But again, please don't break my heart and try to tell me these all, UFOs all, all everywhere. All this talk, I saw this interview recently where a fighter jet pilot actually said that while he's doing his, his night test runs, if he sees a campfire, he's like, it's UFO time. So he slows the jet down oh. intentionally almost <laughs> to a stall. And then as soon as he's over them, he hits the thrusters and takes off at full speed to, <laughs> so that it looks like something is coming in at this campfire. And the person's looking at this barely moving object that just shoots off into nowhere. I would fall for it's it. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's like the best thing I've ever oh, heard. I would fall for it. Oh, it would break my heart. Most people probably would. So when I was researching this, the Defenders exercise just lists the following places I already said. Washington, Mississippi, Italy, Greece, Spain, Missouri, Maryland. But it also said that it's going to work with 26 different countries. Ooh. And it involves 17,000 troops. So before you jump to conclusions, make sure an exercise isn't being done in your area before you break my heart and try to tell me an A-10 is E-T coming because I will follow it and I will become obsessed and I will show Stan and he'll make fun of me and be like, uh, I know what that is. So Or Noah. Noah would definitely be that way. Exactly. So please... <laughs> Do your research first. Don't break my heart. It's always blurry. All right. I think that's all we have for you today, folks. This has been The Strange Show. You can find us on Twitter at The Strange Show. You can find us on Instagram at Strange Shenanigans Podcast. Uh, also, uh, you can find all our podcasts on Podbean. You can find them all on Patreon. And Spotify. Yeah, follow us in pretty much wherever else this podcast is. Yep, just about. I just click all those buttons and here we are. <laughs> so I'm Ashley. I'm Stan. Stay strange. <laughs> <laughs>